Welcome to Crackle Comics issue number one, weekly comic reviews. I'm Mike. I am Daniel. And I'm Vincent. And Vince, give us a little bit of a rundown on how this show works since it's our first episode. All right. If you're joining us from the Students of S.H.I.E.L.D., you may be familiar. If you're not, this is the reboot or relaunch. And the way this works is we review issues each week. And it's, it's the stuff that's come out new um, that we've chosen to talk about and read. And uh, we do a little quick synopsis, try and keep it quick. And then we discuss it, how we felt about the issue, any analysis or further thoughts or speculation. Occasionally, if, it, if it's warranted, if it comes up, we'll have a little thoughts or reaction to news as it relates to the books. Also, each week, we start off the show with first a haul segment. So if any of us have bought, in, have bought any interesting comics or comic-related books, we show them off, talk about them briefly. And we also kick off the show with a retro book. So each week, partially determined by a random number generation, there is a book from the past, any company, any time, and we read and talk about that as well. Did I miss anything? Well, not only that, but also if you can't catch the live show or don't want to sit in front of us, watch the screen, Sunday, Monday will be an audio version available on Anchor and Spotify is the bigger one. On Spotify, you can get an audio version where I trim out the whole segment and it's just the reviews and discussion. Which is understandable because, you know, we're not the most pretty faces to look at. So we, we don't fault you for sticking to audio. Also, if you don't have a, uh, if you don't have a screen, the whole segment's kind of pointless. Yeah. So that's that. Um, we also designate each of us who's on the show that um, for each episode, we designate our favorite pick of um, our favorite book that comes out each week. That's usually towards the end of the show. Now our retro book for this week is another DC book from January 2006. We're going to talk about JSA Classified number five. Um, so this classified format, it's just a spinoff from the team books that DC had. First, they had JLA classified at the height of Grant Morrison's run. And they're both kind of anthologies. You'll have different creators doing different things. They're loose. They're, the continuity with them is very loose. And the first four issues of JSA classified were Jeff Johns and Amanda Connor, Power Girl. And then that flows into her ongoing title. And then these issues start the Injustice Society, and they loosely tie to Infinite Crisis. Um, there's a little bit of that reference in this issue, but it builds on later. Um, it, well, not really much of a tie-in. It's more like a lead-in, um, a soft lead-in. Um, and then, but the rest of the volume is pretty much solo stories of JSA members. And the creative team here is written by Jen Van Meter, who is married to Greg Rucka, and she's writing other stuff as well, like Dr. Mirage for Valiant. And the art is by Pat Olif, who is currently the artist today on Hawkman. Um, and he drew an arc in Hawkman, a featured gentleman ghost, who appears here, or wait, no, yes. It was Shadow Thief, but I think Gentleman Ghost has shown up in that run. So the setup here is that Wizard 
is in some shit thanks to Zatanna from the arc Crisis of Conscience in JLA. So he goes to Icicle for help, and then they basically assemble a team to figure out what's going on with Wizard, and then, and then it leads to a heist kind of deal. So they have, they're joined by Tigris, who is formerly known as Artemis, which is, yes, the exact same character from Young Justice, but not really. Young, the Young Justice, the character on the Young Justice show has the backstory and name of this character, but is more filling the role of Arrowette from the original Young Justice comics. Um, but Artemis Croc, this character, has more of an interesting backstory, even though she's not a villain in the show. Um, and then Ragdoll joins the Thinker, who by this point is like this weird AI thing, Gentleman Ghost, Solomon Grundy. So the, the team is all there. And in addition to figuring out what's going on with the wizard, um, they are going to have a heist to take a doohickey from the JSA. And the JSA don't even know how the doohickey got there and what the doohickey is. And a lot of the JSA is preoccupied with other things. So at home base, it's basically Wildcat, Stargirl looking into it. And I'll say in future issues, I think it's Dr. Midnight and I don't remember. There, there's four, it eventually becomes four characters on the JSA kind of representing that team in this arc. Um, and we see a little bit of Ma Hunkle, the Golden Age Red Tornado out of costume. Um, and that's pretty much it. Um, this issue is all about assembling the team and then setting up the plan. And the next issue jumps into the heist, which we are not reading. But this is basically like act one of a heist movie. What did you guys think about this and the various menagerie of, vil of DC villains here? Uh, I, I didn't like this. I, and I think a lot of it is that I am not read up on my JSA a lot, especially this era of the JSA. So trying to figure out, oh, it's 2006 DC. What's the status quo at this time? oh, we're doing Infinite Crisis stuff, and I've been like slowly not reading Infinite Crisis because one of these days I'm going to read that whole omnibus all at once once I get a book stand for it because I need one. So that was hard to do. And then like it was a bunch of characters that I'm not huge fans of. like, And I, I did find it overly wordy. Like I found it like it was pretty long, and the pacing was a little bit off. Like, uh, this was not a home run for me, and I think a lot. I think a lot of factors play into that. Dan, what what are your, what are your thoughts here? I mean, I pretty much had no clue who a lot of these characters were, um, so right off the bat, it's, it's, it was a little hard for me to get get in, in interested in it and involved. Uh, but um, I mean, there were some scenes that were like kind of interesting, you know, some of the action scenes, but. Yeah, like Ben said, most of this is just set up for the next issue, which we unfortunately will not read unless it's randomly drawn again in another retro book. Five years down the line, it'll be drawn again. We'll finally know how the heist went, but yeah, for now, I just or no, we'll get the really after the done. heist. We'll get the, we'll get the post heist. Yeah, exactly. So um, uh, yeah, not a winner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely a. You're not up on your DC lore and status quo stuff. What comes after this, what comes before this. It's definitely a, a deep pool to jump into. Um, and the final comment I will make is that there is a fun Easter egg here where 
I believe Wildcat is reading a book and it's called Gardner. No, it's called Fox and Moldoff's Guide to Tech. And that's a reference to Gardner Fox and Sheldon Moldoff, classic uh, Golden Age DC creators, both of which involved in the JSA. So that's that. Um, I'd recommend people check it out, give it a try at least. Um, it's an interesting snapshot. I was gonna say, usually the, the 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 DC classified books have always been pretty fun. Like I've read some JLA classified stuff, and those are always fun to read. So yeah, and there's some real gems in JSA classified because a lot of it is more solo stories, and you know you're not gonna get a Wildcat ongoing series ever. So you not get twenty. Yeah, well, definitely not. But um, even back then, but so you there's like a couple issue arc where it's Ramon Perez art on a wildcat solo story and he like goes off ramps with his motorcycle and get and punch people and stuff like that there's some fun stuff in there there's a, there's a walt simonson drawn hawkman story there's definitely some gems if you're in the back issues all right so that's the retro book and now jumping into what we do on most of the show uh, the meat and the potatoes as some would say the, the books that came out this week so we'll start alphabetical order, but we got a character with multiple books. We'll keep it kind of in the same universe. So I guess this is Spider-Man Corner, since we have a bunch of Spider-Man books this week. So we'll start it off with Amazing Spider-Man number 37, Nick Spencer, Ryan Otley back on art. And this is functionally a recap or reset issue after the events of Absolute Carnage and all of the 2099 shenanigans that took over this book's direction for like the last two months. So we really just, we get full on recap pages of all the stuff that's happened recently, but with Ryan Otley art and it's fantastic because Otley's been out for, I think like the last four or five issues. So like the last stuff he did was, uh, was the absolute carnage stuff. So he's back here. Pete has a date with MJ over FaceTime. They're getting ready to watch essentially what they're like the M the Marvel universe's version of the bachelor, right? Um, no, it's a makeover show. It's, it's a makeover it's, show? Okay. Yeah, it's Janet Van Dyne giving villains makeovers. That's right. <laughs> uh, so that's pretty funny, but we see him, we see him like fall asleep as still from exhaustion. Is well, While we get the recap pages, we see him that he's been using the device that his classmates have built to tell the future from the 2099 stuff. It's kind of a preemptive way for him to get around and stop crimes before they happen. And he alludes to uh, maybe this isn't the best thing I should be doing since, you know, that whole Civil War II thing turned out horribly. But they do say that the readings are not 100% accurate, so it gives an idea but not an approximation. And from there, we see Nora Winters offering jo Jonah Jameson to start a podcast for a very much a lot of money. So it looks like Jonah's going to become, like, the Jonah of old possibly again after he sees the amount of money that Nora Winters offers him because initially he doesn't want to do it. And our ending is our new villain kindred kind of planning his next move as he resurrects a person. I have no idea who that is. Is it the burglar? I, you guys have to help me out on that one. I was like, I was like Lex Luthor in that episode of justice league where he takes over Flash's body. It was like, I, I, I have no idea who this is. Dan, you know, right. Um, I don't know. It looks like the Prowler. No, not the Prowler. He's white. Who's it? 
our resident Spider-Man expert, Matt, is not here this week. He is overseas, in fact. Um, this is the Sin Eater killed Gene DeWolf. Okay. Ooh, okay. Um, and of course, that's the Death of Gene DeWolf arc from Peter David's Spectacular Spider-Man, which we read a tiny part of. Not that arc, but that run. No, it was a it was recently a uh, retro book. Yeah. And um, that was, Daredevil had a prominent guest um, guest appearance in that arc. And uh, Black Sudera. And um, another one of Spidey's supporting cast characters. One of their iconic deaths. And the Sin Eater's crazy dude. So, yeah, that was a kind of weird curveball in this issue. I will say, though, I enjoyed the issue. I thought it was great to get kind of back on track to the overall sense of Spencer's run as we're kind of through the gap of what looked to be crossover hell. Yeah, the thing, though, as soon as I finished this issue and, like, realized, like, that this issue was separate and, like, remembered what was before this, like, did we read a 2099 arc? Like, I know we did, but, like, I feel like it didn't end and it, the fact that I now know that it did end, it had nothing to do with 2099. It had nothing to do with 2099. There were just like occasional pages of Miguel glitching like through like once, like a few pages each issue that never concluded. Like maybe they'll gonna maybe they'll spin something more with Miguel out of it later. But like that was not a 2099 arc. It wasn't, but I'm happy we're right. We're on this path now, so that's in the back burner now. Yeah, yeah. It was nice to see Otley again. It was funny to see Civil War II kind of lampshaded and Ulysses, because essentially what this arc is is Peter now has a little piece of tech, which serves the exact same plot purpose as Ulysses, who was supposed to be an actual character. Right. Um, and then, of course, it's a little bit of ribbing of Carol and Tony. And then that gets to a question of, like, and I think there was one other book we read this week where, like, Tony guest stars and, like, knowing what's going on with that book and 2020 coming up, I'm like, this, any any Iron Man appearance in the past, like, two years is pretty weird. Um, also, yeah. Matt would enjoy, there's a one-panel cameo of a man thing. I texted him, that, I'm like, you're going to enjoy Amazing Spider-Man this week. Because man thing shows up, but he's overseas and has no Wi-Fi, so he can't he can't read anything. Yeah, I guess just going off of that panel that had um, the, all those characters. I mean, I think that was a good display of Otley's art. I like this issue. Yeah, it's kind of a pal. It's it's like a palate cleanser, but also like a kind of it jumps around. There's nothing fully started here or concluded here. It's just like, okay, you're finished with that arc. Let's kind of spend some time with characters and set up minorly set up some things and then we'll get into the next thing. Yep. All right. So moving into amazing Mary Jane number four. Um, before I get into this, there actually is a part in this issue where the FaceTime date is actually mentioned. So uh, kudos to Marvel for dovetailing both these issues together. But MJ is still out west and working on a film with Mysterio and, you know, still trying to redeem him as a villain. And 
we open up to the actor who is playing Spider-Man in this film, basically walking out in the film and, you know, pretty much blackmailing Mysterio into giving him the rest of his money for his services and stuff like that. So there's a gap in the last scene of the film that needs to be shot with Spider-Man. So Mary Jane obviously says, you know, why don't I fill in? And there's obvious reasons why that's not going to work. But Mysterio is just like, yeah, sure, whatever. Um, and then we pan to the actor who's playing the Vulture in this film, who I believe is like a kind of like a redeemed version of Vulture that they're playing in this film. At least that's what I've like kind of put together. And he's kind of getting stalked by the paparazzi and like asked on like a night show about his relationship with Mary Jane. And like pretty much like, you know, there's people working behind the scenes trying to sabotage this film and everything. And we come to find that it's the doings of the Savage Six, which are kind of like a version of the Sinister Six um, with a bunch of with a few characters that I'm not really particular on who they are. But they're the ones that are trying to sabotage the film. They've been trying to find where the location of the film is because one of the leaders of this this group is the actual vulture. And I don't think he likes the way he's being portrayed in the film. So he's trying to find out where where the film is going on so they can kind of you know track down Mary Jane and Mysterio. And the last portion of this issue is the Savage Six tracking the former actor of Spider-Man down to get the location of the film site. Um, you know, in between this time though, we have P uh, Peter and Mary Jane FaceTiming. Um, about their their date coming up, or I think they're they're actually calling each other, not FaceTiming yet, but they're calling each other. And during this call, Peter actually discovers, like, I guess the final thing to his device that he has from the last issue we discussed. So that's kind of cool. But yeah, there's some weird things that are said too when she's wearing the uniform, and like, piece just like. No worries, you know, they'll edit all that stuff out in post. So I mean it's it's a little weird. Um some of the some of the comments made in this issue were a little weird and and stuff, obviously, but I thought it was a cool issue. Um still kind of a little you know, a little goofy in some parts. I mean, I don't think this this series is not trying to be too serious, but I thought it was good. A little bit of setup for the next issue. And I'm excited to keep reading this. What do you guys think? I think you hit the nail on the head where you talk about it's not really that serious. It's pretty fun. Uh, it has that vibe of it being a fun book. I know this is going to go longer than five issues. I think five issues wraps up the movie for when MJ comes back to New York. And yeah. That's kind of the moment where I'm thinking, all right, how are we going to keep this lasting? Because knowing that it got greenlit for more, out, like in the production of this, it very much seems like a beginning, middle, end here. And I don't know what the kind of grand plan post this kind of status quo for her is going to be. But for now, I'm enjoying it. It's a fine little book. And uh, Leah Williams does a really great job with Mysterio and MJ here. And the Carlos Gomez art, it's I feel like it's good in places. It's not so great in others. But it, it, it I think it's getting better, steadily getting better. Um, but yeah, I, it, it functions and does the things it needs to do. And Leah Williams, it was really shown that she's a great MJ uh, writer for her voice. 
I just kind of want to know what happens post this, but that's a good thing. So. Yeah. I mean, I'm not really sure, you know, I, I kind of see this as just like a fill in like break type of like just an opportunity to give Mary Jane something to do while she's not in the main book, but yeah, we'll see. But it, but it's a great idea. And and the continuity between this and amazing Spider-Man has been great. This is three times now all the issues have lined up to when either of them are talking across the books. They make sense. Definitely. All right. So moving on, we get into black cat number eight written by Jed McKay art by Dyke Ruin Ruan and Annie Wu. We open up the black cat teams up with the beetle as the beetle is trying to talk Felicia into joining the sinister syndicate, which we actually met and I think had a story arc with in the amazing Spider-Man. So pretty interesting to see her return here in this series. And they are trying to steal scans for a machine that they're attempting to duplicate. That's like within this, I think it's like within this like warehouse or whatever that's owned by iron fist. So during this whole mission, we actually get flashbacks to Felicia and her mom shopping in like this market and pretty, pretty much trying to get her mom on a cruise outside of the country because of stuff that happened in previous issues. Um, the guild is pretty much on Felicia's ass now after what she did taking the black fox or the silver fox away from the guild after they kidnapped him. So Felicia's pretty much like, we need to get you out of the country. And we get some good development between Black Cat and her mom, which I don't think we've ever delved into before in any Spider-Man runs or any other books that she's been featured in. So that's kind of an interesting thing to see. You know, we've already gotten some backstory about her father from previous issues. So, you know, developing her whole family and her relationships with them, I think is really important. Um, this series, again, I can't say more about it. It's, it's getting there. I mean, it's, it's, you know, all of this has been building since the first issue where we were introduced to the guild and we were, you know, told about how the guild works and all that stuff. So, but pretty much the end of this, of this issue is the black cat getting the scan of this machine, this ship, whatever. They don't really explain it that much in this issue, but she pretty much gets the scans of what she needs for her, you know, um, guys to work on it and design it for herself. And we get a nice little fight scene between her and iron fist and, Iron Fist kind of tells her, he's like, you know, you're actually a fun villain to fight. You know, usually all my villains are like very somber and stuff like that. So I thought that was kind of funny, you know, playing off of Black Cat's, you know, back and forth banter while she's fighting. And as soon as they leave the warehouse and get away with what they need, it actually blows up. And Black Cat can only assume that it's Odessa from the guild that's after Felicia to uh, you know, get back at her for what she did to her. So this series is heating up. Um, you know, I feel like this issue, the whole mission was kind of like a subplot to what was actually, you know, the main thing with the relationship between her and her mom. 
and you know we obviously have that subplot or that overlying plot going on in the background with this the guild so i'm excited to see where this all goes uh eventually i feel like it's going to come to a head i don't know when but uh yeah this series is exciting i like it and moving on the little dan solo hour here um <laughs> we'll get into ghost spider number six um by Seanan, I'm not sure how you pronounce that name, I apologize, McGuire, and Igoria, and Rosie Camp Campy, Campy, I don't know how you say your name either, I apologize. Um, we open to a very weird and almost incestuous photo shoot with Johnny and Sue Storm. Um, I wasn't really sure who they were at first, and then I you know, put two and two together, and I'm like, oh, that's a little weird. Um, this is on Earth 6S, uh, which is the Earth that Gwen is currently living in, I guess, right now. Uh, they end up actually going after this photo shoot on this beach. They end up going to Latveria, where we pan to four years ago, apparently, where they actually end up disappearing. And we end up going back to Earth B17, where Gwen is hanging out with MJ and Glory. And you know, then we go back to Earth 6S, where Gwen is um, ends up saving these hostages from a bank robbery in the middle of the night. We also get some good banter back and forth between Gwen and George Stacy, which honestly is the highlight of this book. Um, everything else is confusing as hell with all the jumps between different Earths and stuff. But we get some good talk between George and Gwen Stacy, Gwen Stacy, and. You know, pretty much the, the situation is they have hostages and George is like, you know, let us take care of it. And Gwen's like, I got this. And she just goes in and just gets all the uh, robbers out of there. Uh, back at the police station, though, we see a battered and cold couple of people, which end up being Johnny and Sue Storm. So I honestly don't know what's going on really in this book. I mean, the jump between the different Earths is a little confusing. Um but yeah, I don't know. It's it's all right. Nothing really to talk about here. You know, it's it's just weird because like the original like Spider Gwen stuff didn't have all this jumping between different different Earths, and ever since then it seems like they have incorporated that into the story, and it's really annoying and dumb, and I don't like it. So that's my opinion on it. But this ends the solo hour of Dan's recaps of books. So, yeah, I, neither of us read that book, um, but I think we've talked about this before. Jumped in at the end of your your rundown, where it was just it was just an inevitability of the popularity of Spider Gwen, and then also bringing her into the mainstream with uh, into into the Spider Verse. So she just couldn't. We're in an era where alternate universe characters can't stay in their alternate universe. Um, even though, you know, we had runs with Spider-Girl, um, Ultimate Spider-Man, for the most part. And technically, like Peter Porker, Spider-Man Noir, <laughs> they, they usually stayed in their own lane. But I think we're past that. And there's uh, there's other examples of that. Yep. Right, on to ending the Spider-Man corner. 
Venom number 22 with Donny Cates. Artist is Mark Bagley for the Venom Island arc. This is part two of that. Eddie Brock has retreated to his old island to combat his other and the Carnage symbiote that has infected it. That happened at the end of Absolute Carnage. So this is basically Predator, but with the with the symbiotes. And Eddie is being Dutch, which was Arnold Schwarzenegger's character. As he's running around this island, kind of prepping for battle as he goes to this old bunker that he has a bunch of old weapons and a flamethrower stashed in it. He also had built an air raid silent to lure the other to him. Um, and he goes back to Dylan, uh, his son, and he's having nightmares of Noel, the symbiote gone. It's revealed that he has a piece of the carnage symbiote in a kind of little box. And so we'll set up a whole bunch of craziness down the line there. I'm sure of, because we know that carnage wasn't truly dead at the end of absolute carnage. So Eddie confronts the other and it bonds itself to his hand. He kind of like draw, he uses the air raid siren. They all come to him and he draws a ring of fire at it. So he kind of creates this like pit to just fight him in and it gets on his hand and it's kind of trying to corrupt his head and he takes an ax and he chops his hand off. So that's the, that's the big cliffhanger here. Now Eddie has no hand and he's still going to fight this thing. I'm enjoying it. Uh, I, I took a time over last weekend to catch up on all of Donny Cates' Venom. There was a while back on the Students of S.H.I.E.L.D. channel when we were doing the Marvel Fresh Start reviews, I had read Venom number one by Donny Cates, and I liked it a lot, and I wanted to eventually get catch back up on it, especially after covering Absolute Carnage uh, on that channel as well, and we liked that. So I... I was happy to kind of get back on the train here and catch up with what's happening, especially with Donny Cates teasing on social media. That this is going to be a big arc, and he's really proud and excited about it. And so far, for me, it's living up to the hype. Also, I think the fact that he's getting to getting the chance to work with Mark Bagley on kind of a still Carnage-centric story is pretty neat. And I think Bagley's pencils here are pretty good. Uh, I think they're better than the last couple of issues of life story, I will say. I, so it seems like he might've had more time on this than the last few issues of life story, but Mark, Mark Bagley in 2020, obviously not the Mark Bagley of ultimate Spider-Man or his 1990s run on amazing Spider-Man, but still, I think this looks pretty good. And heading into DC with Batman number 86, starting the new era of, James Tynan IV is the writer on Batman, and Tony Daniel as the main artist. It looks like Tony Daniel and Gullah March are going to be rotating art duties, at least for the press releases that they put out for this. So a new era is beginning post-Tom King in Gotham City. Batman is running through his patrol of Gotham, getting ready to kind of upgrade Gotham from within after the events of City of Bane, as Bane kind of took over the city and destroyed a lot of the infrastructure around it. So Bruce is finally enacting his plans that he always talked about with Alfred, but what can Bruce Wayne and Batman do to upgrade Gotham itself? Kind of reminiscent about the era of Gotham when they were rebuilding it after the No Man's Land event, but not to that full scale. This looks like Bruce just putting more eyes in the sky around the city. So he's kind of on the intercoms talking to Lucius Fox and Selena Kyle who they're still together in this. So happy to see that. I was very worried that ish first issue, they were immediately going to toss her out. So it looks like Tynan is 
keeping her, which thankfully I'm happy about that. So she's at a Gotham City function kind of is a placeholder for Bruce, but also being there as his spouse, uh, getting all of these local politicians to kind of buy in on Bruce's plans. We see Cheshire, uh, sorry, we see Cheshire going around using gas to melt like people's faces off. And then she rendezvous with Merlin and a bunch of other DC mercenaries. The big reveal being, Oh, here's Deathstroke and Batman with the help of Lucius Fox launches like this new bat vehicle and these new bat gadgets where he can like make shadows to make it look like he's multiple places at once. I thought that was pretty neat, but the, the giant big bat wing like vehicle, I wasn't super crazy about that. And uh, we see Batman and Deathstroke into a fight, but it all happens off panel. We, we cut back to Batman later and he's like all kind of bloody and his costumes ripped up. Cause during that time we're spending time with Catwoman, who's infiltrating later on in that party getting information from one of the people and she sees that dude's face melt off so hey what's going on these two people need to investigate what's going on but batman beats deathstroke flies out to the night and then our epilogue is once again centered on the joker with Gullah march art with the kind of joker has made some sort of heist and it's reminiscent of the beginning of dark knight where they're doing the high all the joker goons are doing the heist and then they're each killing each other um, as they progressively get further away as their escape. I thought Tynan's, uh, I'm going to say Tynan's a very good Batman writer. He's a very capable Batman writer. Uh, he's Scott Snyder's protege, as we know. He had a very kind of good run on Detective Comics at the beginning of Rebirth. I thought his Detective Comics run was a perfect kind of B tier. It read like the second Batman book. That's what it was, but it was very good. I thought Tynan's character writings for Batman, I thought his strengths always are on the sidekicks and not Bruce himself. So this is kind of his first time really getting to write Bruce, seeing what his chops are at that. And I think they're pretty good. Um, he's carrying over the elements of King's run. We see Bruce call Lucius Alfred at one point as he's still coping with Alfred's death. And I like that we're exploring that. But it, I think my problems with this book are the gadgets so far. It's a little uneven in the pacing. I would have liked to actually see the fight with Deathstroke. But at the same time, we did just have him fight Deathstroke in Christopher Priest's run. So I can understand, hey, it's the same old shit. Maybe don't we, we don't need to see that. I will say Tony Daniels' art has changed for me from his time on Morrison. And I figured out what it is that bugs me. He consistently draws Bruce Wayne too young. He draws him like Dick Grayson. And I think that started when he was the writer and artist on Batman at the kind of end of the standard DC universe era when it was Dick Grayson in the Batsuit when he was writing the Batman book. His Batman still looks the same as that one. And that's why it throws me off is because when he drew Batman and Morrison's run, he looked bigger and he looked like Bruce. His Batman still looks like Dick Grayson and it really irks me. It, it, I think it's bad. But like other than that, the art's fine. It's the, His Batman needs to look like Bruce. It still looks like Dick Grayson. But... New era of Batman. I'll open the floor to you guys. I mean, I th I think the um, sorry my, <laughs> my I had trouble with my um, mic there. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a good new chapter. I mean, the way the way everything's set up, it does feel like a completely different like era for Batman and. You know, I'm excited for it. I mean, 
you know, the art I really enjoyed. I think the voice of like all the characters he really gets. Like I could hear like like the, the characters and like the chemistry between, you know, Selena and Bruce I thought was there and you know, it's it's gonna have to grow on us, I guess, to not have Tom King there anymore. But I thought it was pretty good. Pretty good start. I think I think it's a perfectly fine first issue. And yeah. it'll be we'll see how it grows beyond. Definitely. Yeah, I I liked this for the most part. Um, I like the use of gadgets. Um, it, it's probably going to come off way better than there's that one arc. I think it's the first arc in Batman Confidential called Rules of Engagement, which folk, which like tried to really lean into Batman gadgets. Um, comes off more naturally here. I don't, and I'm going to, segment this separately because there's they've also talked about vehicles separate from gadgets this yeah. night climber vehicle like it's hyped up through the whole issue and then like you see it fly away and that's all like yeah it just looks like a new plane <laughs> yeah they set up all these other things it can do and i think like we're supposed to like acknowledge that that like he had took it out and is using it but like it's off panel or poorly conveyed I didn't get a good feel for what this what was special about this vehicle when they were setting up that it was so special. And then all they showed us was like, oh, it can fly. Um, I thought the Guillaume March epilogue was kind of superfluous. I don't think it added that much, but I'm interested to see you know, when he gets his actual arc because I like his art here. I think Guillaume March is actually way more versatile artist than I think in my head. Because I associate him like very strongly with like Gotham City Sirens and a lot of the covers he does and yeah. like work he did on Catwoman, where it's much more like he has a smoother style and it fits perfectly for that bad girl kind of realm. But that's not really what we see here at all. Um, I think he can do a horror angle uh, as well, and that's how they've kind of teased his approach on this series in the marketing and everything. I will say, I think I will. I'll, I'll, I want to applaud Tynan also for introducing two new villains right in this first issue with Mister Smiles and the the other mercenary guy who looked like Sportsmaster, but it wasn't Sportsmaster. Yeah, no, Mister Teeth. Mister Teeth. <laughs> Gunsmith. Um, you know they're not going to be good, huge guys, I assume, but um, you know you need your your D level guys. I thought also there's like a little bit of discussion of like the dark web and stuff. And I thought some of that was a little too on the nose and yeah. it's going to be dated or cringy. Um, but otherwise I, I think the concept of that is cool. How there's a net, there's a network of all the various villain, like costumed assassins. I know I initially, when this started, it looked like he was only getting 15 issues, but in, you sent me his newsletter this week and I read it. So it sounds like he's getting more than just that, which I'm happy because I think this I, I think he does genuinely deserve a nice long run on Batman with with the work he's done in the past. I think he's definitely ready and it shows. Yeah, it's hard to say. Um, I mean, everyone was assuming that they would take the, the opportunity of issue 100 to set up a new creative team and a big status quo thing. But a lot of the status quo speculation is just straight up speculation. Yeah. And 
and I don't know that the create new creative team is necessarily is necessary or like a big deal either because you have Wonder Woman and Flash 750, which are huge anniversaries. Yeah, and you're getting the exact same creative team just rolling on through. Um, there should be no reason why Tynan isn't capable of doing the 100. He can uh, give it to him. He, he, the the dude loves Batman, and he's most of his work is Batman centric. Yeah, I mean they used Action 1000 sort of to transition creative teams. They didn't really do anything on that level with Detective. Really, it yeah. was just like all hands on deck. Well, uh, hey, Tomasi had already written the was writing at that point. He used that to set up the big Arkham Knights thing. Oh wait, yeah, no. So they did use Detective. That was Tomasi's entry. No, no, he'd already written the arc before that. No, I think Detective is the first. I think the thousand was the first appearance. No, it was the first appearance of Arkham Knight, but he had that run beforehand where it was the Batman and the the Dream Nightmare thing. Okay. Where he was like fighting the computer program. So he'd already written an arc before that. I think he might be right. All right. Okay. <laughs> That's that. Batman, I, I think we're all on board. Um, I'm a little more intrigued than Tom King. We'll see how long I stick on. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, number 11. Jordi Belair, David Lopez. Still in this crossover. We finally learned what's making all the men in Sunnydale go crazy, though, which is nice because I feel like that plot thread has been poorly conveyed throughout. Clearly, they were planning something, but it, I just don't feel it was like well communicated across the page. But it turns out the hell mel the hell mother is wanting to make like an army of men and enslave all the women of Sunnydale. So Kendra, Willow, and Xander, while battling Robin Wood in the graveyard. By the way, this is Kendra's uh, kind of first time out. So she's meeting Willow and Xander for the first time. Robin Wood is her watcher. We learn so they kind of all conveys here. You guys don't know what I'm talking about, but roll with me. So this is all going down. Kind of a big fight. Kendra meets Willow and Xander, and they she learns about Xander being a vampire, but with a soul, because she wants to kill him. But yeah, the big takeaway here is the Hell Muller wants, wants to enslave all the women of Sunnydale through an army of corrupted men. Uh, which very much seems like an early season one kind of Buffy plot. So kind of in a season one era for this, it fits, but I, I'm ready for this crossover to be over. I, 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 when it started, I've said, Ooh, this going to February is going to be a little bit rough and yeah, it's starting to show it's starting to show, but that's it for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Previously on X-Men. All right. Now we head over to the X-Men corner and following, we usually try and follow the reading order because that's a thing now in Dawn of X. Um, even though it sometimes is totally meaningless. And we're going to start this week with Excalibur, number five, by the regular team of Teeny Howard and Marcus Toe. And basically, this issue opens with everyone. All the major parties kind of embroiled in some chaos. There's some fights going on. Other world is leaking into Earth and everything. And the comatose rogue meets essentially Amaterasu from the game Okami. It's a fire dog in a Stonehenge where the like uh, columns are sentinel heads. It's pretty weird. And, sh and she, makes she makes a fun reference to Dolly Parton, showing her, I guess, country background. Um, but it turns out that Gambit went back to Kokoa and got Rachel to pry into Rogue's mind in her 
uh, like coma status. And it turns out that actually Apocalypse had maybe put her in that coma for some reason to like use her as a battery and channel her energy or something to do with Otherworld and magic. And Gambit's really mad about that. So he gets his ass pummeled into the ground by Apocalypse. And then Rogue wakes up, beats the shit out of Apocalypse, and in fact kills him after he goads her on. And of course we know that's temporary in the status quo. But because she's Rogue and the way her powers work, she has absorbed part of Apocalypse. And now she has Apocalypse face. And I'm sure that's not getting a gambit off. Um, I thought this was a, it was a fine issue. Um, I guess we're essentially done with the first arc. I'm not certain, uh, you know, what the first trade collects, but uh, the bulk of it here, or at least the, the like internal climax for the team. Um, I suppose that they are going to get back and connect and finish the parts with Morgan Le Fay and everything. Um, also, Pete Wisdom, basically just as soon as he was brought on the board, is kind of wiped off the board. It was more like a two-issue cameo with nothing. Like, you don't even see his powers. When he shows up to recruit them or, like, help them, you see his hot his uh, hot not his hot fingers or I forget what they call it. And then, like, he doesn't use his powers again. Um, yeah, I thought, I mean, this it moves the story along. Rogue's woken up. Apocalypse is dead. But at the same time, didn't engage me in time. Um, it might have engaged me more than you, actually. I, I, I kind of fairly enjoyed this. Uh, I thought the pacing with the action and Rogue waking up worked well. I liked the cliffhanger of of Rogue absorbing part of Apocalypse's power. I think that's kind of a new direction and idea to go with. Um, and we'll see if there's any permanent changes from that or power she takes away from it, because the way this book is structured, maybe she might. Because it, it seems like to be positioning Rogue as kind of a key factor in all of this. But, yeah, it, it looks like the first arc is over and we're ready to hit the ground running with other stuff right here. I do like this team, though, and I'm, gonna, I'm sticking with it. Yeah, I can't see Apocalypse Rogue as a long-lasting status quo, but it, it wouldn't be necessarily out of, out of question because, of course, she got many of her powers from Carol Danvers. I was going to say, like, I think for the, I, th I don't think she'll look like Apocalypse the entire run, but maybe she keeps some sort of power as like a kind of a vessel or something. Um, then New Mutants, number five. Um, this is Jonathan Hickman and Rod Reese. And the issue opens with some narration from Sunspot, Bobby, and it opens with, I'm a talker. And it's just tons of captions for a while, um, which which is very literal. It sums up this opening. I think it's supposed to be too much and annoying, but it is too much and annoying. But thankfully, the entire issue is not like that. And things get weird and complicated here because Gladiator made the New Mutants go track down Deathbird and bring her back to train. I forget the girl's name, but... Um, Lilandra and Charles's daughter um, to train her to inherit the throne. But now also Gladiator has the Shi'ar Death Commandos go after them to kill Deathbird. 
So I don't know what he wants. I don't know what the point is. But the Death Commandos are a Claremont 3.0 thing, his third run in the 2000s around House of M. And they were the folks who were introduced and brought in to kill all of Jean Grey's family. Um, her parents and, and remaining relatives were killed by these folks. And we have a bit of down moment of Chamber and Mondo, the Gen X guys on the New Mutants team, hanging out and like discussing like how connected or disconnected they are with these New Mutants who go back even farther with each other. And Sunspot Bobby wants to hit on Deathbird. And he makes his approach, and he is reminded that she has children. And he should probably know that, since one of them is an Avenger, that being Deathcry. Um, and then, of course, she was at one point married to Vulcan, a fellow X-Man, um, and a back-alive X-Man. And then, thanks to Cypher, uh, Douglas, or... Psylocke, Cy or not Psylocke, Douglock, I think, I guess he technically is right now. Um, they figured out the Death Commando's plan, and so the New Mutants basically fucked them up. And it's all in pretty quirky ways, which I think is keeping in with tone of this book, but it's not like jokey where you laugh, where you're like, this is stupid. Um, the karma sequence in particular includes a panel which is very reminiscent of. Bill Sienkiewicz. It's a very like um, abstract panel. Um, there's like googly eyes and scribbles and stuff like that. And then the magic, the magic sequence is you know going to be um, shared online and memed because she goes pretty ham and has some crazy dialogue. Um, and the new man's basically win, but then in the end, gladiators or the Death Commandos crew shoot their ship and it gets shot to pieces and some of the new mutants are flying out in bare space. And that's quite the cliffhanger and we'll see. Um, even though we're reading these every week, I don't necessarily know what next issue is because this series has been flipping between two major plot lines in space and on Earth. So not sure if this is next issue or the following one when we get back to this. But it's definitely a, an interesting cliffhanger, and I enjoyed this mostly. All the character characterization and dialogue I liked. And I like uh, Magic's motto, which is fuck or fight. I, I liked how she asked if any of them were human before she went to kill them. Yeah, cause, and, and I had to think about that for a half second, because if it weren't for the status quo, that would be like a weird thing to ask. That would be like a Magneto type of question. And then if yeah. they were human, he would kill them. But of course, that's the number. That's like one of the Krakoan laws that she's confirming. Yeah. I, I, I was down on this issue number one because it he packs so much text on these pages that it takes away from the art a lot. Well, I think it started the first few pages with Bobby's recap are really bad. But I think yes. it's intentional. I, I, the rest of it, I don't think, was much different from other Hickman issues. Compared to X-Men, it was less. Sure. Um, and I, even the even even the fir the first issue it was kind of like that. 
But this was on another level to me, where it took me out of it. That I like couldn't join. And then also like doing full text, like full text on two of those like insert pages, like catalog pages, that's unacceptable on top of that for this. Yeah. Um, the, like, this issue needed an editor to step in and go, all right, cool it. On the next issue, I have a major gripe about one of the text pages. Um, do you have any further on New Mutants before we jump right over? I, I still enjoy it, but I, I wasn't happy with it. it. I think I'm enjoying the Duggan issues more than the Hickman issues. The Brisson issue. I'm sorry, yeah, the Brisson issues. Um, I really like the art. Uh, Rod Reese is great. Oh, the, the art's fantastic. Both both artists on this book are great. X Force number five, Ben Percy, Joshua Cassara. I just want to point out, Vince, Joshua Cassara has not missed an issue of X Force yet. I think that's the last of the X books we're still covering that have not had a fill in yet, I believe. Um, but. Domino is fending herself off as like the shit has completely hit the fan and X-Force's first mission. Quentin Quire's dead. Wolverine's just like cut in half, hanging on by a thread. Forge luckily saves the day with the help of Black Tom Cassidy and Gateway jumping through a, a makeshift gate. And then we get a, here's the text page, a text page explaining Black Tom's connection to the plants and biomes of Krakoa and how Gateway plays into it, like completely rail-stopping all of the action, which was like, holy shit, why is this here? Yeah, this, I, I want to interject, because this is, this really stood out to me, primarily because of something on the text page. It describes that Black Tom has been, like, having interesting dreams, and his dreams are affecting Krakoa around him. And one of the things that it says is that he wakes up one day to a 50 foot tall construct shaped in his, you know, longtime best buddy, the juggernaut, who of course is not a mutant, but you know, eventually will, I'm sure he'll factor into this runs or this line somehow. But like, that is a cool concept. That's a cool description. This is a visual medium. Like you could have used, you could have used this page to show that. You it's could have conveyed every time happened this run now with you pointing this out because the first was Magneto giving Xavier the sword that he'd formed out of the shards of Cerebro. Sorry to interrupt, but yeah, carry on. Yeah, I mean, you could have fit mo you could could have fit the essential stuff and the interesting visual stuff that is described in this page onto a page of art, and I don't I don't I think it, this exact point where it is in the sequence of pages probably wouldn't be the best spot regardless. But if you squeeze that somewhere in this issue, um, it would be a, a nice little breather, a nice character moment. And it's unfortunate that we, we don't get to see it. Right. Carrying on, we get to see uh, Forge break out his new weapon and get in the field, which I thought was cool. But X-Force is able to leave one man alive for interrogation by Beast and Gene um, as they're playing with this guy. Also, it's revealed this guy is like fully a human and the other and not one of these like augmented soldier types. So they do their best not to kill him. Um, I did appreciate Wolverine still like kind of factoring in the action, even with like a missing lower half. But like he is taken off the board as then Forge ends up carrying him. And he's like, if you move, you're going to just fall apart. I thought that was pretty funny. 
I'm, the more I read of Ben Percy's Wolverine, the more I'm looking forward to his run on Wolverine. But the man that is being interrogated reveals that the buyer of the Krakoan tech that these that this Black Ops this Black Ops team was going to get what had a peacock tattoo. So the plot thickens as X Force is still figuring out what this Court of the Owls looking gang is they're going up against. Still good. I enjoy it. Yeah, um, pretty much on the same page. I thought this it actually this issue I really enjoyed. Um, besides my major nitpick earlier, Logan, his like bisected half going ham in a fight and then just getting riddled with bullet holes. Yeah. There's a ton of action in this issue. There's some brutal art, um, and then. Forge in his like organic mecha suit, smacking, like smushing Wolverine back together. Um, and then the, the like final page here, I thought is it's a little weak because it's like, oh, here's that masked villain that's been teased to us in every single issue. So it's like, it's not like it was a tease or any reveal or anything really interesting from the reader perspective. But I guess this is the first like full like lead and description within the book for the characters. And then my other like weird status quo, like how does this work thing is like, like would it make sense if someone decided, all right, let's just shoot Domino in the head real quick and kill her because then they could quickly resurrect her and she'd be altogether unhealthy again. She wouldn't have her weird plant arm. I don't know that she necessarily cares about that, but it's an interesting question to consider. Yeah. All right. So Ghost Rider, number nine, or not number nine, number four, um, Caretaker opens a portal to Limbo for Danny to go through, and he's going to try and get Necrosis from Velasco, who I think... I don't know if it was teased in number three or if it was teased in the um, Marvel, the incoming short. Um, and my, what I was going on is that Necrosis is kind of like the, the, the limbo version of a ghost rider. Um, like Velasco can have his same version, just like the ghost riders are sort of kind of ostensibly connected to Mephisto. And Johnny is still marching on Vegas and he has a little fight with Wong and gives him the penance there. You know, I want to know what kind of sins Wong has committed. And he breaks Mephisto out very easily. He just ties some chains to the bars and rides the motorcycle a couple of feet. And we don't see, we don't pick back up with Johnny and Mephisto for the rest of the issue. So I'm sure in following issues that'll Definitely not be a good thing. And Danny shows up, has to fight for Belasco's respect. And I believe Johnny took his spirit of vengeance, um, but also like technically like there's no like innocent blood being spilled and everything like that. So it would be an interesting situation. You know, if, if writers really wanted to, they could put Danny Ketch in complicated situations where he can't switch to the ghost fighter if you want to get technical about his rules. Um, so it's just like Danny catches this like 
normal ass dude handed a sword and fighting this like a uh, monster guy in limbo. And I guess he wins somehow. It was slightly unclear to me. And now Velasco has made Danny the spirit of corruption, which he has like this weird green costume and a big like cloud strife sword. And this issue also ends with a reveal for number five's cover, which one of the characters is blacked out and it's Danny as the spirit of corruption with Punisher and Wolverine because, and Blackheart in the background because it's their Hearts of Darkness sequel thing. Um, I enjoyed this issue, the art, um, which this issue was mix of both Cougar and Frigeri was good. This, but on the other hand, the spirit of corruption, the design is really stupid. I'm okay with the premise, like the existence of it. Um, especially in this era where Jason Aaron just like exploded and expanded the Ghost Rider mythos anyway. So like whatever, expand it to other circles of hell. But the design is dumb and this better not last that long. Um, that's basically it. And then also next, the next issue that you're supposed to follow from this is Spirits of Ghost Rider, Mother of Demons, which is one of these anthology things similar to Venom and Fantastic Four also have these quarterly one-shots. Um, and that all, all I will say is that better be collected alongside the main book as the other one-shots and shorts have been confirmed as of the first one. I think it will be um, because, you know, there's, there's U.S. Rider's not, a even though they're getting this quarterly one-shot book, it's not a huge enough franchise in this era where they're going to have, like, dozens of writers doing like little one shots that don't tie in unlike venom um so mike what do you think about ghost rider i i, I was excited for this book because i thought it was going to be danny ketch being ghost rider again and it's it's not yeah pretty much <laughs> yes yeah. yeah if you count like incoming and some of the other stuff like danny hasn't really been ghost rider since like think like issue two or something which was the yacht one (laughs) yeah um but i'm sure it'll circle back around hopefully i don't want him to be the i don't want him to be this weird looking dude forever yeah and it looks weird i don't like the design at all good um but overall i think the book is executed well still i like yeah i'm still interested in what's happening i'm just bummed out yeah. Mortal Hulk number 29, Al Ewing, Joe Bennett. So your standard team still rocking into 2020. The Minotaur has launched attacks all around California with uh, like these other monster characters. And they all have like code names, like ones like Harryhausen. All, all the names are like corresponding to like other like filmmakers that like made like monster, like stop motion monster movies, which was pretty funny. But the Minotaur and the Roxxon staff have, they were looking back at the tape footage of when the Hulk stopped that uh, security guard from shooting in the crowd. And they were like, wait, the Hulk's out during the day. He's only supposed to come out at night, which has been a thing in this run. And it looks like the Hulk can come out at times at like at dusk, but he's weakened. So that's, so they launch all these attacks at, attacks at dusk where they know the Hulk's not going to be able to fight all of them 
and he's going to be weaker. So he's got to choose where he's going to go. It's kind of the rest of the the shadow base team figures out what's going to go on as Doc Sampson and Betty are talking at kind of having a, a lunch together. But the minute Bruce shows up, she immediately becomes the red harpy again because she's only the red harpy around Bruce. And then more, more in depth stuff talking of like discovering and trying to decipher what the personality traits of this Hulk are and has the other traits made peace with Bruce now all kind of interesting stuff still. It still continues to be really good, but I like this very deep, subtle nods to detail of, yeah, why, why did the Hulk show up when it was still, when the sun was still out in the last issue? Ah, here's why. It's something I didn't even think about. And Ewing just continues to be on his A game. And then Bennett as well. Bennett's going crazy with, he's got like four other giant monsters to draw here. It's, it's insane. Always good stuff. And to round out our week, Young Justice number 12. Brian Michael Bendis, John Timms. In my notes, I wrote Bendis continues to ruin some of my favorite characters. It, that's not exactly true. It, It's just Bendis decompression to the point where I don't care anymore because this book is monthly and it it just moves at a snail's pace at this point. So Young Justice is just like sitting around Jenny Hex's truck talking their plan on how they're going to get uh, Connor back as Tim and Cassie are exchanging text messages with each other. And also, so Tim sends uh, Wonder, Girl, Wonder Girl and Teen Lantern to the Justice League headquarters to get help, but they're only met by the Wonder Twins who are like, hey, the Justice is on a mission. So they have to get help from them. Bart joins up with them too. It's like some fun stuff of like Bart, like immediately knowing all the access codes and stuff, which I thought was funny. And then as they, they figure out there's all these temporal rifts across multiverse dimensions. So who else shows up Vince, but Miguel and summer from dial H for hero. Are you seeing the pattern? All of the wonder, all of the wonder comics line of books are converging on this book now because Naomi's also here so the whole team has come together and they know that Dr. Glory from Star Labs is lying about what really happened to Connor she's on the Justice League intercom she's saying that Connor came and was like trying to destroy stuff but in reality she sent him to the warlord also Connor's having a little bit of a breakdown he just has a breakdown and cries uh to the warlord after they beat up some dinosaurs because once again he just got back to his friends and now he's sent back to an entire different place so i thought that came out of left field but like a fun moment or at least a good moment i don't know how fun that is watching a character have a huge scale mental breakdown but yeah i I, i'm done i'm done with this book It, it it's too slow and it it just it the, the voices are wrong in places also it's going to take some time for me to really come back around on Tim Drake's new look because it, it, it is terrible. They need to change that fast. But, hey, John Tim's art's good. Yeah, I mean, you give it a year or however many, however long it took for these issues to come out. So, like, can't give it much more than that if you're not enjoying it, really. Yeah, I, I – yeah, I mean, I, I think what? Uh, I'm off every Bendis book at this point, right? Yeah. All right. I mean, I, I, the experiment lasted a year and a half for me. 
I was very excited to hear about this book, um, being a fan of this generation of heroes and the, the idea of the original Young Justice and everything. But it's just like, I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm going to pick up the trades anymore. Yeah, I wouldn't. I don't think you'll enjoy this. The only character I like of the new characters, I like Ginny Hex. I, I can do without Teen Lantern because she's not even a lantern. She has like this gauntlet that hacks into Green Lantern rings and it doesn't make any sense to me. Yep. All right, so that's the show. This is the, re- the rebooted episode one on Crackle Comics. Um, what, are you, what are your guys' pick of the weeks? Dan, you go first. Um, I would probably say Black Cat. Dan goes with Black Cat. Not surprising. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go Amazing Spider-Man. It was just a breath of fresh air after the last couple arcs. And it was just, you know, just a solid, good issue across the board. I'm, I'm actually going to go with New Mutants. Okay. So that's mine. Um, tell us yours in the comments. Definitely make sure you subscribe. And follow I'll us on Twitter. Follow us yeah. on Instagram. Here's, here's our, uh, our Twitter. Instagram is exactly the same username. And what we may do, um, you know, we literally just got this off the ground, so we're still figuring things out. But we might move some of the retro book decision making over to Twitter and make it a Twitter poll. Leaving it to your hands. So go over to there and you will see probably some of the options. And we will figure out what we're reading next week. But Vince, there's more. Because on Wednesdays, we're going to do cover of the week on Twitter and Instagram. And then also, we'll do cool covers on Friday also. There'll there'll be stuff happening there. Yeah, and definitely follow the Instagram because we might just, you know, as we're reading the books to get ready for the show, if a panel or page really, really stands out to one of us, we might put put it on the gram. All right, so that's that. Um, There's the Twitter. Instagram is exactly the same. Follow those, subscribe to this channel. Um, and if you, if you want, there's a ton of backlog stuff over on the Students of S.H.I.E.L.D. channel. Thanks for watching this or listening. Because those will be on the Twitter as well. And tune in next time. Bye-bye.